Hello again, and welcome back to another episode of Freedom and Virtue, the podcast. You'll hear from Dr. Kevin Schmissing, the Director of Research at the Freedom and Virtue Institute and a Research Associate at the Veritas Center for Ethics in Public Life. Here now is Dr. Kevin Schmissing. A text version of this podcast, which includes links to the articles cited, is posted at the Freedom and Virtue Review, which can be found at fvinstitute.org. Become a member by clicking on Members Portal and then log in to view the review. School choice is on the march, exulted a recent headline from a conservative think tank. Another publication declared that a revolution is underway in American education. These articles highlighted recent legislative gains in states such as Iowa and Arizona where state education funding will be available to parents to send their children to schools outside the public school system. This is indeed a noteworthy and promising development. For those not already up to speed, school choice is a broad movement under which a variety of policy efforts have been promoted, including tax deductions for tuition, legal permission for students to attend public schools outside their districts of residence, state-funded vouchers for students to attend non-public schools, tax-favored but privately funded educational savings accounts or scholarship programs that empower students to opt out of public schools, and perhaps the most influential of all, charter schools, publicly funded schools that operate outside the traditional district-based public school system. Histories of school choice generally point to the University of Chicago economist Milton Friedman as the intellectual progenitor of the movement. In a 1955 article, The Role of Government in Education, he proposed separating the funding and administration functions of education, suggesting that government, quote, preferably local government units, might give each child through his parents a specified sum to be used solely in paying for his general education. The parents would be free to spend this sum at a school of their own choice, provided it met certain minimum standards laid down by the appropriate governmental unit. This is essentially the arrangement taken up by voucher proponents in the 1990s. I began following the school choice movement at the start of my academic career in the early 2000s. I wrote a few commentaries and also a small book focused on the impact of school choice on Catholic education in particular. By that time, school choice had already made substantial progress, most notably in the beginnings of the charter school movement and in a handful of voucher programs usually centered on poorly performing urban districts such as Milwaukee, Cleveland, and Washington, D.C., School choice has proceeded since then in fits and starts, benefiting from friendly administrations and legislatures, especially at the state level, stagnating when unfriendly officials were in power. The concept achieved an unprecedentedly high profile during the Trump administration when the president appointed as education secretary Betsy DeVos, whose family had been prominent as advocates of school choice in the state of Michigan. Over the last 30 years, a variety of school choice measures and programs have emerged in various places. What's striking about the latest school choice advances is that in these cases the public funds are open to all families without respect to income or other criteria. Most previous school choice initiatives were focused on disadvantaged populations, gaining political traction by pointing to the injustice of forcing poor and minority students to remain in manifestly failing schools, and by mitigating the power of the teachers' unions by keeping the program small and posing no existential threat to the public school monopoly in general. The COVID experience was a stimulus to outside-the-box educational thought and experimentation in various ways. 
Initiatives implemented in its wake led one publication to declare 2021 the year of school choice. The pace of reform slowed in 2022, but progress still occurred in some places. Gradual and piecemeal as it has been, the overarching trend in education policy is toward increasing choice. There are good reasons for this. Preeminently, the demonstrated success of school choice wherever it has been tried. School choice is not a panacea. There's no such thing in public policy on any matter, and certainly not in education. There will always be children who fall through the cracks. There will always be room for improving teachers, institutions, and methods to try to maximize the potential of all students. Some charter schools have been failures. But the alternatives were never a perfect system on one hand and school choice on the other. The alternatives are the current model of public school monopoly, which in too many places displays crippling weaknesses, and some version of school choice. In this contest, school choice comes out on top. Different studies show different levels of effect. In some cases, improvement has been modest, in others, substantial. Although most researchers have found improvement, there are also some who question the efficacy of school choice, or at least certain specific school choice policies. This is why the second argument for school choice is even more compelling. It empowers parents to make choices as to what they consider best for their children. School choice doesn't mean compelling parents to pull their kids out of public schools. There are many schools and districts across this country that enjoy high levels of satisfaction among their constituents. Charter schools and vouchers don't threaten that success. But they do offer an alternative, whenever and wherever that's desired. Motivated kids who attend dysfunctional schools can go to safer, more academically serious schools. Some parents, even in high-functioning suburban districts, may prefer a religious school that better aligns with their values. Some students, for any number of reasons, may simply do better in online or homeschool settings. Comprehensive choice empowers parents to consider all of these options and to select those that best fit their family's needs. There's no need to rely on the opinions of experts, academics, education administrators, government officials, as to which type of school or which pedagogical method or which curriculum is best. We can let parents and students decide. On both practical and theoretical levels, empirical outcomes and philosophical merits, school choice is a winning issue. Parents, no matter their race or political orientation, almost always favor it. The only formidable opposition comes from vested interests, chiefly public teachers' unions. They will win battles here and there as they always have. As the School Choice is on the March article points out, changing the paradigm of American education, quote, will likely take generations, and the U.S. is a long way off from the more plural systems common to other countries. Nearly 90% of American children still attend conventional public schools, but the momentum, it would seem, is ineluctably on the side of school choice. There was more school choice in the year 2000 than there was in 1980, more in 2020 than in 2000, and there will be more 20 years from now than there is today. It's one sign of hope for the future of American education. Thank you for listening to Freedom and Virtue, the podcast now. Learn more about the Freedom and Virtue Institute by visiting www.fvinstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a positive review. Thanks. Until next time, stay engaged. I was thinking this was the way to go and you put up your puppet show. I say cheers to you.